It's time for episode 487 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, January 25th, 2022. Clockwise for people, for tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where we half only an hour. My name is Dan Warren, oh and I am joined no! across the internet by my no! good friend, my pal, my dungeon buddy, because we play Dungeons and Dragons together on the internet sometimes. It's Micah Sargent. How are you doing today, Micah? Oh, better now that you're here, Dan. Better now that you're here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've set the bar real low for everybody today. You are all welcome. I did not sleep a lot last night. Anyways, let's get into the show where we talk with two fantastic people about four tech topics. To my left this week, it is my good friend, my pal, my co-host on way more podcasts than I can actually mention, including The Rebound and, of course, the proprietor of Lex Friedman Consulting. It's actually Lex Friedman. Hi, Lex Friedman. How are you? Hi, it is actually Lex Friedman. Great to be here. Thank you. And to my left, it is the executive director of Rebellion Pack. It is actually Brianna. Let's crack a lockin', y'all. <laughs> <laughs> everything. Everything is crack a lockin'. All right, let me let me kick things off. Apple has launched new MacBook Pros and new Mac Minis. I wanna know, do you consider yourself a power user when it comes to buying your hardware? And I know we're all Mac users here. Uh, do you buy faster processors, more RAM, more storage? Do you like upgrade everything? Or do you feel like these days you can get by with what you need to do with a you know a more modest machine? Lex I, I I know some about what you use. Uh, tell me what you're thinking. Well, it's I, I, first I'm objecting to power user, which I you know as a term that Apple left for a long time, and it's just it feels so funny to me to like you prefer to think today in 2023 of like oh I'm a power user. Like I don't know what that really means, but it's my instinct to buy the most powerful thing I can buy when I'm buying new hardware, and I think about that in a couple ways. If it's um, a device with very finite storage, like Macs these days are. I try to get the biggest hard drive that I can afford when I'm buying that because I don't want to run out of space. And I do try to max out RAM and high-end processor as quickly as I can. Um, so I uh, like I currently have an M2 MacBook Air, and I got that one with 24 gigs of RAM, which I think was the max I could get, um, just because I want to use it for a while. And I the the more I pump up its innards, which is the most lovely way to describe it, the the longer it can survive and, and continue to function as a, a powerful computer for me. So uh, the only exception is actually Dan taught me uh, that I don't always need to get the largest storage on an iPhone because I replace it every year. So I don't have to worry about it being infinitely scalable. So I don't. I'd like to think I'm a power user. Um, there was one at one point, a time where I needed the best, most blazingly fast I could get because I was doing video editing regularly and audio editing regularly and all of those fancy schmancy things. But now I only occasionally need those uh, those tools to do what I need to do. And I'm happy when I have them. But what I have come to realize is given my experience with uh, the M2 MacBook Air, which has quickly become quite literally my favorite Mac I've ever owned, 
I don't really need the ridiculousness that this uh, Mac Studio provides. Now, if Leo Laporte is listening, I absolutely need this machine and no one can pry it from my cold dead hands uh, or my living hands. Neither hands will let you have this Mac Studio. But um, yeah, I just I I've found that um, day to day don't really need it. It's just on occasion when I do have that, I'm like, yes, this is great to have. But a power user, not so much anymore. Brianna, what about you? So I, I'm embarrassed to admit, um, I do not consider myself a Mac power user anymore. Um, I made a really smart decision uh, about two years ago. In the midst of the pandemic, I decided to build like the ultimate PC right? Like it's got RTX 3090 in it. It's got this 24 core like Threadripper thing. Uh, so when it comes to anything that's really high intensity, which for me tends to be 3D applications, I... I just gave in. I got tired of trying to make it work on Mac. It's just never going to be a graphical powerhouse uh, ecosystem. So I just finally bought a machine and, and do that work over there. So when it comes to the Mac side, which is where I spend 90% of my day, you know, because it's emails, Slack, it's, you know, it, it's doing all that, uh, you know, tweeting, it's, it's, it's doing spreadsheets, it's doing, you know, Google Docs. Um, I, I really do find that the, like, just, model that they bring out that's just the base MacBook Pro model, it it works for me these days. I do upgrade the storage to the second, uh, the, the one that's right up from the bottom tier every single time because we all know how stingy Apple mm-hmm. tends to be with their onboard storage. And in a MacBook, that gets old really quickly. But other than that, I just, I, I feel like for the things I use a Mac for, I, I I just don't get anything more out of spending a lot more money, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I, I think I probably come down closest to where Mike is on this. I mean, I tend to, I mean, I've, I've had powerful machines in the past. Most recently, I've been using as my main machine, my M1 MacBook Air hooked up to a studio display because that was the only computer I had for a while. And it was surprisingly good at handling pretty much everything I threw at it. Um, and that's a testament to a lot of what Apple has done with Apple Silicon. Um, I've been testing the M2 Pro Mac Mini for the last week or so, and it's really impressive. But I do find myself wondering, like, yeah, this can shorten some things I do, podcast, big podcast exports, or when I do some streaming occasionally, it makes the performance a little bit better. But uh, from most stuff, like Brianna said, like I'm doing a lot of you know emails and web browsing and writing in WordPress. If this could make me my word count for my novels go 20% <laughs> faster, I would spend more money because that would be worth it. But it doesn't really matter for most of the stuff I do every day. So despite having you know in the past considered myself somebody who needed to have a you know a super powerful computer or step up processors and stuff like that. I'm not sure that I need that anymore. And I, and that's that's also comes with its own little crisis there because it's like, oh, do I do I not need the most powerful computer anymore? Am I right. am I not a power user? Who um, am I? Who, who even am I anymore? I'm wandering in the wilderness. Uh, but thank you all for your thoughts on that. Let's go to our second topic, which comes from Lex. All right, power and regular users alike. Uh, I'm curious about your philosophy on menu bar apps these days. Uh, which ones uh, have permission from you to live up there in your menu bar and uh, how you decide what apps belong in your menu bar? Uh, I'm trying to think of the the of a good term to describe my desire to have a trebillion-y menu bar apps. Um, <laughs> I like menu bar apps, but the way that I handle them is with uh, 
bartender, Mac bartender. So I like the ease of being able to do so much um, with the, uh, a couple of clicks of a button that menu bar apps provide and also uh, some of the glanceable options. And then with Mac menu bar, or excuse me, with Mac bartender, I can hide the things that I don't need regularly. So it's a quick way for me, you know, oh, suddenly the the signal is cutting out a little bit or, you know, my bandwidth seems to have dropped. Oh, that's right. I can see that uh, Dropbox is trying to upload files at the moment or Backblaze is doing its Backblaze thing. Um, all of those easy to access tools that are right there in the menu bar, I don't want to miss out on any of them. So they're just a, a click away uh, to to be able to access those. And then some of them, of course, get to sit there on the main part without even clicking away. So yeah, there are a few uh, super premium ones that uh, have the VIP seats. But yeah, uh, menu bar, all the things. That's That's my philosophy. Brianna, what about you? I, I have the complete opposite philosophy on this. I'm like when an application that you install on your computer puts itself in my menu bar, I'm just my, my first reaction is like, who do you think you are? <laughs> we don't even know each other well enough. You have not proven your utility to me. There's a long way to go before I'm going to like add you to the very precious pantheon of applications that make it up there, which by the way, are iStat. Nano and Dropbox. Those are the only things that make it there. Zoom, Zoom tried that, and it's like, no, no, you <laughs> you need to go away. So I I go into you know the the macOS system utility. I try to turn all of it off. Everything there must have a purpose. And I really think these, I think they're just pushing this relationship in the, in the app <laughs> bar way too quick for my taste. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Buy me dinner first. Um, <laughs> I'm a fairly recent convert to Bartender, which is an app that has been around for many years. And I think I just sort of like like Micah was like, oh, yeah, just put everything in the menu bar because I love the idea of the glanceable and quick to access features that you can get in a menu bar. But I have quickly become overwhelmed. And as Brianna said, you end up with way too much stuff that just feels like I should live in your menu bar all the time. And I don't like that. I want to be a little more uh, selective about it. And so what I love about Bartender is the ability to not only say these things can be visible and then I can like mouse over and see the other stuff that's up there, but also to have more dynamic stuff where it's like these things can appear in these circumstances um, or for apps or even system level indicator things that are relevant, you know, at specific times. Um, hey, uh, you can put your my focus mode in my menu bar when it's active, but not when it's not active. Um, all of that for me is stuff that I, I really just want to have that control over it because I do want the ability to have glanceable information. Like right now we're recording a podcast and uh, Audio Hijack can put its little level meters up there mm -hmm. in the menu bar, which is great, but I don't need to see those obviously all the time. <laughs> so, you know, all sorts of little things like that. I just enjoy the, the, the use of it as sort of a heads up display area where I can quickly glance over and get some information without having to really interact with things. And there's stuff that does provide some other utility up there. Um, you know, the Fantastic Hell's got its little widget, uh, which can let me look at my calendar or um, the Shortcuts app, which I have up there, lets me see if something's actively running. I don't love the Shortcuts icon. It could do more, but, you know, it's useful for what it does. And then I have a bunch of these uh, menu bar widgets using SwiftBar, um, which essentially lets you just code little widgets to put up there. So I have like the current temperature and then the uh, live stream. I can tell how many people are listening to us live right now. So I, I like all those little utilities. They're fun. Lex, what's your menu bar philosophy? 
Well, it changed with my most recent Mac, which is this MacBook Air with M2 because of that notch. So I spend about 80% of my time with my Mac connected to a gigantic Dell monitor. That is fine. Um, and then I don't worry about it at all. I don't think about the notch. I don't see the notch because I'm only using the giant screen. <laughs> then I unplug and uh, I get really angry really fast. Um, I'm fine <laughs> with the notch design overall, but it is insane that Mac OS has no built-in way to show you menus that are totally invisible to you. Like when it runs out of room, it just stops showing them. It doesn't have any visual indicator that there are other menus trying to be shown that can't be seen. And sometimes I need those menus. There are some apps that can only interact that way. I was a longtime bartender user, and then I stopped for a while, and I very recently have gotten back on the bartender train for the same reason, uh, especially because I finally discovered it has a setting where I can say, I don't want to bartend anything when I'm connected to the big screen. Like, all the menu items can just show up, and that's fine, but then start doing your your masking and hiding things when I'm on my laptop alone. And so that's, that's my approach, because like many of you know, I, I want to have various iStat menus in there. I want to have, like, I use some time tracking software. I use iStat's... Um, battery trackers not just for my laptop but also for my trackpad and my keyboard i want to have dropbox and shortcuts in there and fantastic all in there so i have a lot of stuff going on in there and it's great and doesn't bother me at all until i unplug and i don't love the bartender i think bartender is a great app i don't love that solution because i really want to get my menu at all times and and not have it be hit like if it's going to be hidden by the notch i want some way built in where i could just expose the extra menus and don't um but so yeah i i now am once again i'm, I'm not like brie I'm, I'm i'm allowing more and more things into my menu bar because i know that i have this bartender solution but i don't love it i don't love my solution all right that is two topics down two topics to go which of course means it is halftime here at clockwise and to tell you about this week's sponsor i'm going to turn it over to micah yes because this episode of clockwise is brought to you by issue first impressions as you know are everything so if you're looking to make an impact with your online content you need issue it's the easiest and the fastest way to make your creative ideas come to life and share engaging content everywhere you want to be seen. See, Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital content. You can have marketing materials, magazines, catalogs, portfolios, a bunch of stuff. There's no need for endless scrolling through PDFs. Issue features your digital content in an easy-to-view way on every device. You make it once and you distribute it everywhere without having to worry about reformatting for those different devices. The content is automatically optimized for engagement and ready to share, which saves you so much time. And I love this. It works seamlessly with tools you already use and love, like Canva, Dropbox, MailChimp, and InDesign. So you can upload those files to Dropbox, have uh, Issue pull them in, and do what needs to be done so that they're ready to be shared. Um, Issue gave us a trial so we could give it a go and see what it was like. And one of the things I really liked about it is you can make something, you upload it, and then Issue helps you turn it into content that you can post on different places. So it's not just a PDF platform. It's not just a way to share to Instagram. You can say, take this and pull it apart and make it so that if I share it on these different platforms, it's going to look great on those platforms. I think that's going to save people a lot of time, which I think uh, makes this especially magical. A content on issue can be published as public or private. So private only allows users with a shared link to view it. And public content will be available for your audience and 
and available for others to discover on the issue platform. That's how I came across those uh, magazines. Uh, The platform also provides statistics on how your content is being consumed. That way you can learn more about the audience that you have with data on impressions, clicks on the content, duration spent reading, pages viewed, and more. So if you've got that one page that you're so proud of and you look and you're like, oh, I need to I need to work on on making that one really stand out so they spend more time there. Uh, issue helps creators, marketers, designers, and really anyone who wants to make content that stands out. Get started with Issue today for free, or sign up for an annual premium account and get fifty percent off, half off, when you go to issue.com/podcast and use the promo code Clockwise. That's i s s u u dot com slash podcast and use the promo code Clockwise at checkout for your free start account or 50% off an annual premium account. One more time, issue.com slash podcast with the promo code clockwise. Our thanks to issue for their support of clockwise and all of Relay FM. All right, we are back from the break. And that means it's time for my topic. My question for you. I'm curious how you mouse. Are you a trackpad user, a mouse user? What kind of mouse do you use? Uh, Give me all the details. Brianna, we'll start with you. The type of device I'm using really, I think, reflects the the seriousness of the work you're trying to get done. You know, like the trackpad is built into, you know, the standard laptop, you know, Mac MacBook Pro form factor, right? And I think when you're like screwing around or surfing online or doing research, I really think that's just the best way to do it, right? Like it's just mm-hmm. easier clicking around, forward page, back page, zoom click, all of that. It's really it it's really, really good. But I find that when I get to my real computer setup and plug into you know my Thunderbolt three um, adapter uh, to to hook up to a monitor and get you know plugged into Ethernet and all of that, yeah, I've got my you know my really really expensive, nice hundred dollar mouse, right? That's when it's like, okay, we're getting ready to get some stuff done here. <laughs> so I I really find it like put you in the mindset of what you're doing. Like, are you creating content or are you consuming content? And I think a big part of that is so much of 3D um, modeling and, and design work. It requires that third mouse button. It's just literally impossible to work in three dimensions without uh, that third mouse button because you've got to move you know, sideways, up, down. If you're trying to navigate in three dimensions, it's just the paradigms for it. So you know, I, I'll use whatever, but it really depends on what I'm trying to get done. If it's, you know, email, surfing, tweeting, all of that, you know, uh, touchpad all the way. If it's, you know, 3D, really serious design work, it's got to be a mouse. I am all trackpad all the time and have been for many years. Um, that, be, you know, I was a laptop only user for a long time. Um, and then when I switched to having a desktop again, having the Magic Trackpad available, uh, just totally, that was where it blew my mind. I had the older one first, the one that had like batteries that you had to actually put in it. And I think the, the fundamental aspect of two things. One, the, the gigantic nature of Apple's trackpads on the desktop, especially, uh, just made it so much of a, a different experience. I mean, coming from when back when the, the Mac laptops had tiny little trackpads, and they were great, but like... They weren't really designed for all this stuff. And now they're just so huge and like you fit your old hand on there and do all the sorts of like three, four, five finger gestures. All that for me has 
totally transformed the way that I interact with my computers. Um, and so because I got so used to doing it on my laptop, when I switched back and forth between a laptop and a desktop, I didn't want to go between a mouse and a trackpad. I, it was much easier for me to just stick with the same pointing device no matter what I was doing. Um, and so, yeah, I've been very happy with my trackpad-only lifestyle for a super long time. Scrolling is better on a trackpad, I think, than pretty much any other device. It's maybe a touchscreen. It's very close because they're very similar. Uh, but even on my iPad, I use a, a Magic Keyboard with a trackpad these days. And so, you know, that that translates there as well. The exception being, anytime I have to use computers that aren't Macs and the trackpads on them are... Not as good. Uh, that's a little bit sad. Uh, but I honestly haven't... I don't remember the last time I used a mouse for any length of time. I used to have a wireless one that was for when I had to interact with my Mac Mini that was hooked up to a TV um, because it was the easiest way to deal with that. But I don't have that anymore. And I, I have a mouse here somewhere, but I have no idea where it is. So yeah, diehard trackpad user all the way. Lex, what about you? Uh, basically, I repeat Dan's answer. But when I first saw the question, "How do you mouse?" I was thinking, "Oh boy, pal, pass the cheese." But that's how. I'm, but so the. But I I love the trackpad. I've used all the different versions of the trackpad that Apple has released. If I need to plug in my trackpad, I will literally switch to to, to recharge it. I'll switch to using my laptop, which is on my left, and I'll mouse with my left hand because my brain can handle that a little bit too. Um, and I really like all the the hand-based shortcuts you can do with the trackpad i agree with dan the scrolling uh makes more sense to me than anything else uh so that's yeah i'm i'm full trackpad and if i have to use a mouse i feel like i've entered like a weird 80s vortex (laughs) (laughs) um for me i've got uh right right now sitting on my desk a trackpad and a mouse and i do like to use both of them um trackpad especially for different swiping and gestural stuff and the mouse for more precision work. So um, a lot of times I will use the mouse for doing most of what I need to do, uh, particularly if I'm going to be uh, clicking around in Photoshop or something like that, where I need to have the the mouse as as precise as possible. Uh, But the trackpad is just so good at the the different gestures that it does um, that I find myself using that secondarily. And I know different people have different means of achieving that. And some people even go as far as to have like a tablet and stylus situation going on. So I was totally curious about uh, how you all did that. So thank you all for your answers on that. And let us go to our next topic, which comes from Brie. Oh my God, this is an embarrassing question. So I want to tell a story about why I'm asking this question. So when I, my husband is 12 years older than I am. And when we first got married, I would always pick on him. He's like, oh, I don't know. I think that laptop screen is a little small for me. I have trouble seeing it. And I was like, what are you talking about, Frank? You just, you just, you can see it. Just try harder, right? <laughs> and now it's 15 years later and I find myself... Oh, this is what Frank was talking about (laughs) with your eyes getting worse as you get older. So I find myself, um, I got a 13 inch, uh, MacBook, uh, Pro, um, last year. You know, it was the model everybody was raving about. It's a great machine. I love it. But as I'm doing so much more writing with my work nowadays, 
I really, really, really find myself wanting to go ahead and make it that, you know, uh, the 16 inch MacBook instead of the uh, 14 inch MacBook. So, um, and I'm like, do I spend $2,700 on this and do it again after a year? So I'm curious for all of you have, as, as you've gotten older, have you found, this doesn't count for you, Micah, but for <laughs> everyone else, have you found like the size of screen that you need has changed or anything like that? Um, I'm still using, so I now have a 27 inch Apple studio display and that was the transition from a 27 inch iMac. So those are basically the same display. I did have a smaller iMac for a while. And when I got the option to upgrade, but that was mainly a function of, you know, wanting to get the 5k one, I used an 11 inch MacBook air for a super long time. Um, and I was okay with that, but I, now I'm at the 13 inch air because they don't make an 11 inch anymore. So like necessity has pushed me in that way. And the 13 inch display on a MacBook air, very nice. I don't feel the temptation for the larger screen as much, but I will say the corollary to this question is, do I bump up font sizes in some apps? And the answer is definitely <laughs> yes. Uh, right. The other day I was doing a demo for uh, Six Colors where I made a video about the per app accessibility settings you can do in iOS where you can tweak stuff on an app by app basis, which is really cool. And so I was like, oh, here's a, as an example. What if I just increase the font size and Discord on my iPhone? And I did that. I was like, oh, this is way easier to read. <laughs> I think I'm just going to keep it like this. Um, so, yeah, I don't necessarily find that I've ended up with a bigger screen. I do end up like there are times where I've switched the resolution of my display to do stuff like um, streaming because I need to capture more windows. And when I switch back to my normal resolution, like the native resolution, I'm always like, oh, wow, thank God. This is <laughs> this is so much easier to read than it was before. Um, but, yeah, I think I'm OK with my display sizes but yeah, trying to Im- increase the size of interface elements on them is certainly something that I have started doing more as I get older. Lex? I've been using the same screen sizes for a while. My issue is not a one of vision. It's I just really, because I think I spend so much time with a three foot wide monitor, which t- seemed ridiculous to me when I first got it and then now has become like a requirement for me when I'm just working on my laptop screen. I'm like, how do I, how does anybody do this? Just because I, I want to have multiple windows side by side. There's only so much room. Uh, I've been lucky enough. You know, I guess it helps. I'm younger than Dan, uh, exactly six months, but, uh, I think (laughs) some number of months, seven months, (laughs) I, I don't have any reading vision issues. So I don't bump up my phone size. I do like to observe my friends aging process by seeing how big they make their font sizes on their phones and stuff. And I enjoy that. But so far, you know, I'm using the the same iPhone screen size and the same uh, monitor uh, whenever possible, and I haven't had to bump up font sizes on my interfaces yet. I'm assuming that day will come, but I literally just had my doctor appointment this week, and it is not yet. I've got another year at least. Yeah, my eyes turned 30 years old about a month ago, um, so I won't pretend that currently I'm suffering any vision issues. Uh, what I will say about this, this is a great uh, topic because I, and I mean this genuinely, I kind of wish that more people would be more upfront about this because I do see a lot of uh, shame and kind of hiding uh, that goes along with this. And it, it results in folks who would benefit from seeing things at a larger size who are choosing not to make them at a larger size. And then it becomes very difficult to read what's on the screen. And it's like, hey, it's okay. We can do that. We can, we can, we can read what's on the screen if we make it bigger. I'll do it with you if you need me to. Let's just make it happen. So yes, uh, I say you should go for the larger one and uh, be comfortable and, and, you know, able to, to read what you need to on the screen. 
And why, why don't you round us out, Bree? <laughs> uh, no, I just, uh, I feel very uh, backed up and uh, I feel less shame and I feel like we all came together yeah. and uh, I can go buy that 16 uh, inch uh, MacBook Pro and not feel guilty. You have me. our permission. So, go. Thank you for enabling me. Thank you for enabling me. Uh, all right. Well, that is four topics down. We have just enough time for a bonus topic. But before that, I wanted to tell you about this week's sponsor. This episode of Clockwise is brought to you by How to Fix the Internet, an original podcast from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Look, sometimes it can feel like we're lurching towards a digital future that no one wants, but it doesn't have to be that way. There are choices we can make to create an internet that makes a better future for all of us. Technologists and policymakers have real solutions to the problems facing our online world today, so we can build an internet that has all the good things we want from tech with none of the creepy stuff. Your hosts are Cindy Cohn and Jason Kelly. Cindy's the executive director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation that's been in the trenches, the courtrooms, and boardroom of tech activism for decades. And Jason joins the show this season. He's a digital strategist and activist with EFF, where he focuses his work on privacy, free speech, and surveillance. In each episode, Cindy and Jason invite someone with a vision on how to fix the internet, someone with real solutions on how to move the needle toward a better online world. This show will make you feel better about our digital future, be more knowledgeable about what needs fixing, and be more engaged to demand change. Episodes are available anywhere you listen to podcasts and at EFF.org slash podcast. I listened to an episode where they talked to uh, Andrew Huang, who is a hacker and sort of maker of various technological devices. He, he's, he's, he sort of came to fame with um, basically modding Xboxes back in the day. And he has a really interesting conversation with them about the differences in how things like patents and legal systems are viewed here versus abroad, especially in China, and how that enables or disables certain types of competition or innovation. It's kind of a wide-ranging discussion, but it's interesting to hear those different perspectives and to remember that there are other ways of doing things in the system that we have entrenched ourselves in. So I highly recommend you give it a listen if that sounds like it's up your alley. So search for How to Fix the Internet and your podcast player choice. We'll also include a link in the show notes and our thanks to How to Fix the Internet for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Okay, I'm making the bonus topic super quick today. What's your favorite color, Lex? Red. Green. Also red. Oh, also green. Well, that went interesting. Red, green, red, green. Stop, red go. Green, Stop green, go. Stop go. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> hey, if you'd like to get ad-free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week, you can become a member of Clockwise. Just go to relay.fm slash clockwise. You can sign up for just $5 per month or $50 a year, and you'll help support the show. In this week's overtime topic, we are sharing some of our favorite budget-friendly gadgets. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this show. And all that remains is to thank our fantastic guest this week, Lex Friedman. Thank you so much for being here. I thought it was the MIT guy, but I'm still happy to be here. <laughs> and Bree on a woo. Thank you so much for joining us. Always oh, a pleasure, y'all. And Micah will be back next week. But until then, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. <laughs>